0: To share the stream, I want you to say this with me Jesus, Jesus is, coming. is coming. This is a fact. Are you excited about that? Amen. Amen. The Bible says that the age of human government will end. And Jesus says this time's gonna come and he's gonna fold up the age of men and he's gonna set aside all of human government and he's gonna show everybody how it's done right? The ancient church used to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, right? Let's just say it, Maranatha. Maranatha, amen, come Lord Jesus. Psalms 2 says this, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth take counsel and take a stand together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break our bonds apart and let us cast our cords from us and let against us not. the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break our bonds apart And let us not, (laughs) that you not rule over us. This world is not very uh, friendly towards Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. It's friendly towards a lot of different things, a lot of different systems. You You can even talk about God, but you cannot talk about Jesus without you getting a direct and oftentimes negative response. God's released his counsel, God's released his kingdom in the earth, and men choose to do it their own way. Bible says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to every people. One of the things that's going to happen when Jesus comes is he's going to establish a government on the earth. We have that government in the power of the Spirit right now, but that government will come in its fullness when Christ comes. Jesus promised us he's coming back. We're in the book of 2 Peter, and Peter is talking to this church, and last week we kind of ended, and that second chapter is all about competing voices, and Peter's going to continue this sort of, exhortation to this church about competing voices. Jesus promised us he's coming back. When Jesus, when Jesus ascended into the, cro- into the clouds, the angels stood by the apostles in Acts chapter 1, and they said, And while they look steadfastly in the heaven, Jesus ascends into the clouds, right? He went up. Behold, two men in white, these are angels, stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into, sap- into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will in like- likewise manner return. The Bible says he's coming in clouds of glory. All right? John chapter 14, say it. He promised. He promised. He promised right? John chapter 14 says this. My father's house has many rooms. Actually means realms, oronos. In my father's house, there are many realms, oranos. If it were not so, I would have told you. If this wasn't true, I would have told you. I'm going there now to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back for you. And I will take you with me, that where I am, you may also be. Say it with me. He's promised. That's right. Jesus' promised coming back. This verse is actually a very important verse to me. We had a death in a family a few years back. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if it was a crisis of faith, but sometimes when your belief system kind of collides with reality, you know, and you're watching your loved one lying there, Dad, and you're wondering, is this really real? Is this really real? Did Yeah? Did this really happen? And then I start talking to the Lord about it. Long story, I won't get into all of it. Uh but second service, I probably would, but I won't get into all of it. <laughs> but, I, I, like, I just was meditating on it, and, uh, like, after uh, this family member passed away, and just talking to the Lord about it, and the Lord said, If it were not so, I would have told you. Heaven is real. Eternity is real. If it were not so, he would have told us. You have eternal life. You're given, if you're in Christ, you're given eternal life. He's given it to you. You will live forever. I love to remind the Christian, and when I look across the room, I'm looking at immortals. You are immortal. You will live forever. Death will be but a veil. Whether by death or by rapture, we will be with the Lord. That fact is certain. He guarantees it. What's the guarantee? The Holy Spirit upon the heart is the seal. Is the guarantee. It's the earnest down payment of the promised possession. He puts a label on you. You send FedEx, they put a label on that. You put a label on it. This property is now handed off to FedEx for delivery to where it's supposed to go. The Holy Spirit puts a seal on you. Yeah? He claims you. You belong to him. You're FedExed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus' coming is an immutable fact. It cannot be changed. Mankind doesn't get to vote on it. Right? You cannot stop Jesus' coming. He's coming. He's coming. The nations can rage, they can plot, they can build their armies, they can say it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. They don't have a say in the matter. This is one of the things that God reserves for himself, is when he's coming back. He tells us the manner in which he comes back, he tells us the times and seasons in which he comes back, but he doesn't tell us the when, right? He gives us indicating points of what to look for, but he doesn't tell us the when. But he is coming. Outside of faith, it is the most important topic in the Bible, this subject is second only to the subject of faith. 1,845 verses in the Bible speak to the end of days and the coming of the Messiah, the second coming. That is one fifth of all verses. 30% of the scripture, one, one out of every 30 verses, speak of the end of days or the coming of Jesus. There are things called meta themes, which means it's a big theme within the Bible. This can't be any better. This is like an epic meta-theme. It's, it's second only. So if you don't think this stuff is true, it's completely true. And God doesn't leave his people in the dark. I'm not going to do a full exposition on the end times, but I'm going to pull a couple of things out for you. The return of Jesus is not a hidden fact. Unbelievers know, right? Anybody ever heard? You got unbelieving friends that talk about rapture? What's this rapture thing you Christians talk about? You know, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back. You know, you get people that, that know it, and they're not even Christians. Jesus has declared he's coming back. Right? So it's not it's not a hidden fact, but it is a denied fact. People want to keep denying it. There are churches that even deny it. It's like, go figure. Church is its own worst enemy sometimes. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is dealing with competing ideologies. So, in the second chapter, he's dealing with them and all these different voices as it relates to faith. And, all, and the Christian is getting pulled by all these different voices. And now, this chapter three, he's dealing with competing ideologies. Oh, you Christians say this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, nothing's changed. And so the church is being swayed by voices. Right? In a culture such as ours, there's no more powerful thing than voices. Huh? That's how, that's how come man, mankind fell because they listened to a voice that was not their father's. Who told you that? The father asked him. Who have you been listening to that's not me? Whose voice have you bowed yourself to? Have you bowed your, we, we bow ourselves to our own voice. We, we bow at the altar of what we think over what God says. That's called intellectual idolatry. People think they know more. I get Christians all the time. God says this. Well, I don't believe that. Like, you got a verse? No, but I just don't believe that. I'm like, well, you've created an idol. You're worshiping your opinion, competing voices. What we submit ourselves to, we become slaves to. You submit yourself to your own voice, you become a slave to your own voice. Most Christians can't hear God because they've enslaved themselves to their own voices. Most Christians, they're so full of themselves, they can hear nothing. Most Christians can't hear God because they've enslaved themselves to the voices within the culture. Does this culture have a lot of voices? Oh, my gosh. I, I, you know, voices on Facebook, social media, TikTok. You got a voice every 15 seconds on TikTok. Somebody's saying something, right? Twitter, truth, social, pick one. Then you got the media, the news. That We live in a realm that is, that is saturated with voices. Yeah, saturated. And you have a choice of what voice you're going to listen to, right? You have a choice. Just like this church, they were listening to all these different voices, All these different things. It's going to look like this. It's going to look like that. It's going to look like that. What does the Lord say? Did Jesus say that? No. It's going to be a recession. It's going to be a recession. (laughs) I don't participate in recessions. Why? Because my father doesn't participate in recessions. Because I'm not bound to this world. I'm bound to his. On earth as it is in heaven. Huh? Has there ever been a recession in heaven? Can I get a witness? So my destiny is on earth as it is in heaven. He will bless me in season and out. When the highs, he'll bless me. In the lows, he'll bless me. In the harvest time, he'll bless me. In the famine, he'll bless me. In the time of sowing, he'll bless me. In the time of reaping, he'll bless me. Where's your faith? What voice do you listen to? Huh? Who do you listen to? If you can't identify with what I just said, you're listening to false voices. Yeah. Who are you listening to? Fear? Your past? Your trauma? Huh? CNN? MSNBC? Good God. Help us all. And Peter is dealing with competing voices. It's all about voices, Christian. It's all about voices. It's not about feeling, it's about voices. The enemy will put you in a position where you're affected with feeling and then he'll reinforce that with a reality. And then he'll start speaking a voice to you. He'll start speaking a lie to you. And that lie will seem real to you because it's reinforced with a reality. But that's not truth. That's not truth. It's real, but it's not truth. Until you understand that truth is greater than what's real, nothing's changing. You'll be enslaved. You have all the power. You're clothed. You're a bunch of anointed sons and daughters in this room, clothed with power. Clothed with power endued with power. Devil knows exactly who you are. You don't know who you are. You have no clue. You think you know, but you don't. You don't. If you knew who you were, things would be different. If you knew who you were, your belief system would be different. If you knew who you were, your choices would be different. The fact that you don't do the things that you know to do, or that you talk about, things would, that's, that's evidence that you really don't know. You know consciously, but you don't know within the depths of your being who and what you truly are. And until you get that, nothing's changing. We have kingdom power. This church is all about kingdom power. We're not observers of this gospel. We're, we, come on. That's right. That's right. We don't watch it. We live it. Right? We're not talking about it. We exist. We're immersed in it. Right? We manifest. Yeah? <laughs> I just had a guy uh, this week, he asked me, he said, how do I know, you know, how do I know if I'm if I'm believing correctly. I said, can you manifest it? Can you manifest that truth? If you cannot manifest that truth, then there's something else going on. Your belief system is misaligned or there's reasons why you can't bring that forth. You can manifest what's true when you believe it. It's just a whole other realm I'm talking about. But it's kingdom power. But until you understand that truth is greater than reality, until you understand that you need to guard your heart and you need to stop listening to voices. But my husband says this. I don't care what your husband says. But my circumstances, but my in-laws, but my this, but my that, but your bank account, right? Your bills talk to you. Talk back to them, right? We prayed for debt cancellation. We gotta do another one. Do you know how many people got debts canceled that year when my wife prayed for that? Debt cancellation. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were canceled. Canceled. Can- Where's your faith? Can Jesus not pay that off? Are you his servant or are you their servant? Again, you don't know who you are. The world has no right to judge the Christian. Zero. Zero. You can subjugate yourself to their sense of judgment or you can subjugate yourself to God's. God will take care of his own. You're not, you're not those worlds to judge. You're his. You belong to him. You don't think he can liberate you? Huh? You don't think he can free you? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? You got to know who you are. got to know who he is. Your perceptions of God are wrong. Your perceptions of yourself are wrong. Well, you're listening to wrong voices. You're processing yourself in the wrong way. In the wrong way. faith is not natural. It's supernatural. 50% of the Bible is ecstatic, experiential, or revelatory. Half of the Bible is encounter based, half. So how can we teach a book when it's 50% of it is based upon encounter and how can we teach a book that's based on pure rationality? Yet that's what we do. Half the book is, half the book is encounter. Half the book is, is experiential. Half the book is revelation and miracle. Yet we don't think that happens? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Hear the Lord go, I'm breaking through. So I don't know who this is for. God wants to break through. There are people in this room that are slaves to debt. You need to put your hand on it and begin to believe God for debt cancellation. Debt cancellation. But I got a personal guarantee. So what? You don't think they can cancel the debt with personal guarantee on it? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Rise to the level of your birth. miracle power man don't you want the glory don't you want to see the miracles So one of Peter's messages in first Peter was that I was an eyewitness man he's like I'm not telling you this stuff because I read it in a book and I'm not telling you this stuff because I went to a seminar I'm telling you this because I saw it I was there and he said I put my hands on it he's like was that real it was my shadow right it was me It was God's manifested power through me. I saw what he did, and I saw what he does through me. This stuff's real. This stuff's real. It is. The world of Peter's Peter's age was wrong, right? We're not even 90 years into the kingdom. Jesus hasn't resurrected. He's probably 30 years in, and the church is already losing its way. There's already competing voices, already competing voices. If he can't stop you from growing, he can choke you out so you bear no fruit. Yeah. They're already denying their voice. They were already wrong. Why were they wrong? Because they were wrong about Jesus. Second Peter the Second in Second Peter chapter 2, he says they deny the Lord. You, you, if you're wrong about Jesus, you're going to be wrong about everything. If you are wrong about Jesus, you cannot be more wrong. Jesus is always the right answer and Jesus is always the final answer. There are Christians that know the Lord as far as Savior, but they don't know him as Lord. They don't know him as King. They don't know him as provider. They're wrong about God as a provider, but they know him as Savior. They're wrong about God as a healer, but they know him as Savior. Even in your own life, you can be wrong about different aspects of who he is. Right? We need to know him. It's the whole point. Jesus said, I never knew you. You get the point? He wants to be known by you. And he wants you to know him intimately, not religiously. Into me you see every part of your life. <laughs> He's the cornerstone, All right, So here we go. We're going to read this. Second Peter 3, I'm going to read for you <clears throat> 11 verses. <laughs> I could have gave you way more. I that whole other section, I'm like, ah, you know. But anyway, it's good. This is called Bible exposition. So we do a lot of topical teaching. So what we do, this is called an exposition of a book, so we've taken in Second Peter. We taught chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, right? It's a summary of the chapter. But this is what you this is called an expositional type of teaching. Most teaching is topical, which is fine. Most teaching is life app, which is fine. This is expository. Peter addresses this church and he says, "Beloved, this is my second letter to you. I've written them both to you. Say it with me: as reminders. As say it to stir you up." So he's telling them, he's writing this to you to bring things, to, to clarify some things, to get you to stop focusing on the wrong thing, and to stir you up. To get you up out of your chair. To get you to stop seeing things. It's the whole purpose of preaching, isn't it? Stir you up. Remind you of who you are and what you are. If you're not lifted and encouraged, if you're just like, I stink. i got to do a better job serving Jesus. If that's the way you are when you leave church, you're going to the wrong church, man. And if you leave church and you're like shiny, happy people and you don't feel like you have any obligation, you're in the wrong church, too. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. It's a communion relationship. That's how this stuff works. I want you to recall the words that were spoken in the past by the prophets and the command that the Lord himself gave through the apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own selfish desires. And they will say, where is his coming? that he's promised. Forever since the beginning of time and the ancestors dying, everything just continues in this natural cycle. You know, live, die, eat, sleep, live, die. Nothing changes. That was their rationality. Peter says, but they willfully forget that long ago God's words made the heavens and brought into being the earth that he formed out of water and by water for by these waters the world was also known, that, he, that, that this world that was also known was deluged and destroyed. By the same word of the present heaven. So what they're arguing here is this will never happen. This will never happen. And it's like, dude, he flooded the earth. You don't think he's coming again? You, you know, it's like he's given them an example of what happened. He says, but I, I, I got something else for you, too, when it comes to scoffers. The people in Noah's age, they were laughing at Noah until it started raining. (laughs) Ha, 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 this guy building a a boat in the middle of the woods. There's no water for miles, Noah. They'd have tour buses coming out to check out Noah. Look at Tour buses would be coming out to look at the crazy man building an ark in the middle of nowhere. And so one day, it started raining, and nobody was laughing anymore. Do not forget this thing, dear friends, that the day, one day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow. Say it. Jesus is not slow. He is patient, right? And he is patient with us, not wanting any of us to, to be lost, but that all would come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything is going to be destroyed this way, how should you live? (laughs) What type of people should we be in light of all of this? That you should live holy and godly lives. You should live for the Lord. Your life should be integrated with Jesus. You're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. But your life should have a focus that relates to him. He should be involved, right? He should be involved. It shouldn't be you on your own. It shouldn't be you making it up as you go along. There should be an integration of your life. you got to start. This is, the, this is actually what discipleship is, is the integration of our life into his. That's what it means. His life into mine, my life into his. Integrating him into my relationships. Integrating him into my finances. Integrating into my mind. Integrating him into my thinking. Integrating him into my decisions. Integrating him into every part of my life. That's discipleship. Integration. People think that you just get saved and then shazam, everything works out. That's not true. Jesus is Lord of your eternity, but is he Lord of your money? <gasps> Jesus is Lord of eternity, but is he a Lord of your time? Hmm? Is he? Is he Lord of the way that you think? Do you push towards the mind of Christ, or do you push towards the mind of the culture? Just a thought. Where do you gravitate towards? It's another day. (laughs) He addresses them, and he opens up the word with beloved. He tells them, you're loved. Huh? What a message. When the world's against you and the scoffers are mocking you, Jesus, t- Peter tells him, "You're loved." All these clowns out here may think you're an absolute fool, but Jesus considers you the wisest of all people, because you've given your life to Him. No man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Right? Wise people build their houses upon what? In the rock. And who's the rock? You're the wisest of all of mankind. I don't care who, who, who's smarter than you. What the intelligentsia say. The fool who gives his life to Christ is the wisest in all in the Lord's eyes. Right? He says, beloved. He said, a broken world you're not loved, but in his world you're preferred. In a broken world you're despised, but in his world you're favored. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Nobody loves you like Jesus, Christian. No, Nobody's for you like the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't sell him out, right? It's funny. We sell out Jesus, and he's the one that's for us, right? We sell out the Holy Spirit, and he's the one that's for us, and he's the first one we chuck, right? It's nuts. But even if you're faithless, he's faithful. Did you know that? Amen. Amen. You were loved. He said, I'm saying this to you because you're loved. I'm saying this to you because I want to provoke you. I want to stir you up. I know everything's depressing. It's depressing, Right? Never known what was going to happen. That was what was going on. They had a power change. And all of these Christians, and Peter was literally writing to Christians that were in Rome, where Nero burnt his city down. Their own government created an economic crisis so that the politicians could benefit from the crisis. Does that sound familiar at all? Huh? They created a crisis for the people so that they could in turn benefit themselves. That was what was going on here. All kinds of calamity, all kinds of shifts. All kinds of changes going on here. Everybody's saying this. Everybody's saying that. The environment was turning very hostile against the Christian. And Peter is saying, Listen, man, I know it's dark, but fire it up. Right? The world's worst nightmare is your greatest joy. The world's ending. I'm like, The world's ending. Ounce, 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 ounce. Right? Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Of course, I don't want the world to end. Of course, I know I'm here to add value and to build life, and I know I understand that, but I don't fear the end of the world. You know? I know the end from the beginning. I know how it's going to go down. They keep trying to tell you. There's another competing voice. They tell you how the world's going to end. Well, it's not ending like that. It, you should not be afraid as a Christian because you know how it's going to end. It is not ending in an environmental crisis. Can we as Christians stop agreeing that the world is going to end in an environmental crisis? Your Bible does not say that in the least bit. There is not going to be an environmental crisis that brings the cataclysm up. all oh, the sea levels. Oh, my gosh. Miami's going to be underwater in 2022. We're in 2022. Okay. Uh, Miami's going to be underwater in 2045. They keep projecting it out. So whenever they don't make their date, they just extend it. It's not going to happen they are man-made disasters. There are man-made economic disasters. There are man-made diseases. They do everything they can to bring calamity upon the earth and burn cities down that they themselves might profit from it. And if you don't believe that, take your head out of the sand. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) The whole purpose of preaching is to awaken the consciousness. Awaken the Christian. Stir the believer unto their identity. It's a whole purpose. Not pat your hand. Peter's not patting your hand going, oh, I understand. I understand. He's like this. Rise up. Rise up. In the midst of this calamity, rise up. Know who you are. Know what you are. Don't fear this. Know this. They're mocking me. They mocked the prophets. They're threatening me. They killed the prophets. So I want you to recall what was spoken of by the prophets in the command that was given through the Lord. The coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the end of days, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, Daniel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, First and 2 Thessalonians, 2 Peter, and the whole book of Revelation speak of the end of days. And so Peter's saying, I want you to remember what the prophets have said, and I want you to remember what we're telling you now. And we also want you to remember what Jesus said. Jesus told them in the Gospels. The apostles told them in the letters. And the prophetic and the prophets told them in the prophetic book. They all spoke of the end of days. They all spoke of it. It's not a mystery. And he tells them, trust the word of God. Don't trust a word, someone's word. Don't trust an opinion. Yeah, trust the logos, what is written, and trust the rema, what is revealed. We have the Logos in what is written, and we have the revealed through the Holy Spirit. He said, you can trust that. Holy Spirit's your friend, Christian. He means you no harm. He is for you. He is the manifestation of God's presence. Amen. He is the manifestation of your inheritance. Matt gives a six-month Bible challenge. I'm going to give a six-month Holy Spirit challenge. Learn to trust the Holy Spirit. Begin to cultivate a relationship, an interpersonal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible, absolutely, but begin to cultivate it. Letter kills, spirit does what? That's right. That's right. It's not logos without rhema, and it's not rhema without logos. It's logos with rhema, right? We have Christians who have spirit, but they have no word, and they're all over the place. Nobody knows what's going on. Say, what's going on? They're like, God's doing a new thing. Is he? <laughs> he works within his word but he also works within his spirit. Then we have Christians that are all legalistic. We got it all figured out. That was my point. No experience. 50% of your book is experiential. Half of it. Half of it. It's encounter-based. Above all, you must understand that scoffers are going to come. Late-night talk show hosts, bloggers, media personalities, celebrities are going to come, and they're going to laugh. Ha, 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 ha right? They will say, where is the coming? Where's the, where the promise of his coming? Everything is just continuing as it is, man. Don't you understand? We, we get born, we live, we enjoy ourselves, we do whatever we want, we eat, we die, and that's it. Peter's like, wrong answer. Yeah, that's not it. And people believe, people think that if they don't believe it, that it's not true. That's how people think. Every time I encounter somebody like that, I'm like, let's go up on the building. Do you you believe in gravity? No, I don't believe in gravity. Okay, jump. You're coming down. On your way down, you're gonna be going, I don't believe in gravity, I don't believe in gravity, I don't believe in gravity. Whack. Gravity exists whether you choose to believe it or not, right? Jesus is truth. He's not a truth, he's the truth. There's no other truth without Jesus, right? Gotta get that straight. It's not Deepak Chopra and what he says, you know, and, and what this clown over here says or what the Bhagavad Gita says or what uh, the Quran says is what Jesus says, yeah. period, oh, man. period, yeah. man. <laughs> he gives them a case study, tells them about the ancient world. Peter's quoting Genesis 1, the creation, and he's quoting Genesis 5 and 6. So this is what he's referencing when he's talking to them. That God created the world and he formed it with water and out of water. And he also formed the world and he destroyed it with water. The same world, the same world that's present heavens is reserved by fire. So Jesus literally, the Bible says all this happened because of his word. Right? I want you to say this. Jesus is a preacher. And he preached this world into existence. That's right. He declared it. He proclaimed it. Let there be light. Boom. And there was. Right? What he's he brought it for. He preached the world. So what the Bible's telling us is when it uses this creation story. This is actually kind of a cool thing. Say it with me. The only one who can create something out of nothing is Jesus. He's the only one. Only one. Say, my life's nothing. Happy day. Happy day. See, even if your life's nothing, you got Jesus? Do you know what he can do? He can make something out of nothing. Aren't you glad? Right? It's the Hebrew word bara. Oh, they, 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 they can't even translate this. They, they can't even translate this word. This word's like a mystery. There's a couple of words in Scripture, and it always relates to how they're describing the Lord, that they don't, they, don't, they don't even have a language for it. And so this word bara means from nowhere. That's what it means, that God created bara from nowhere. He just brought something to pass. He created the existing materials. The materials weren't there. God was. And so he brought... The materials into this into time and space and then he began to build the materials the materials weren't there before so what he does with you Christian if you follow him he'll start building things into your life he starts putting pieces into your life that are necessary church is necessary the Holy Spirit is necessary fellowship is necessary the Bible is necessary all of these are the created elements that God uses to form you out of nothing and most Christians stay in the void of no formation because they won't allow God to use those elements in their life. Right? They think that Jesus is going to do it. No, He's not. He will do nothing for you. He will do everything with you. You can't do it without Him. That's right. And He's not doing it for you. You got to. is what Christians do. They're just like He's going to do it for me. You're waiting. You know, I've, been, I've been in this game a long time. I can go. I can just go on Facebook and scroll through people's lives and see if and they're still waiting. Well, I'm just waiting on God to do it. I'm just waiting on God to do it. Patience, patience. Boom, that one dropped dead. Well, I'm waiting on God to do it. I'm waiting on God to do it. Boom. It's a partnership. It's an engagement. If you don't invest in you, no one's investing in you. It only matters to the Lord when it matters to you. People don't believe that. I'm like, read your Bible. Blind Bartimaeus is the classic example of that. His blindness did not matter to Jesus until it mattered to Bartimaeus. Read it. He's walking right by him. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. Didn't matter to the Lord. He's going somewhere. But when it mattered to Bartimaeus, and when Bartimaeus cried out from his heart, not from his pity, Oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Don't you see me, Lord. Help me, poor me. But when he said, son of David, right? And he called him to himself. And when there was something about the echo of Bartimaeus' heart, because it mattered to him, that stopped Jesus. He'd been crying out for an hour, right? Well, what changed? Bartimaeus changed, right? Something shifted with Bartimaeus, and it mattered to Bartimaeus. He got out of self-pity, God told Esau, the yoke will be upon you until you grow tired of it. And only when you grow tired of it can you cast it off. Yeah? How many of you in this room have a yoke on you and you're not tired of it? Oh, God, take the yoke off me when you're tired of it, when you get sick and tired of being in the condition that you're in, that you're willing to trade in all of your religious ideologies, all of your carnal concepts, and you're willing to get rid of all of that and throw this thing off you and do whatever it takes, then and only then will you change. Yeah? Deliverance is for the desperate and destiny is for the desperate. Everybody wants it, but not everybody will do whatever it takes. That's the difference. Oh, everybody wants it. You want deliverance? Oh, yes, bless God, I want deliverance. You want destiny? Oh, yes, bless God, I want to live. I want destiny. Get up in the morning, start reading your Bible. Oh, God, I didn't know I was supposed to do that, you know. Anytime it, can, it takes something from you, you don't want you just think God's going to do it. I got more verses than that, all right? The Bible speaks of a nation that's been at ease since youth, all right? It said you've been at ease since your youth. You've never used what you've been given. Therefore, he says, your scent remains. What is he saying? Everything that you've been given, you've done nothing with it. You've not poured it out. You've you've just kept taking in. You've done nothing, and you keep leaning back in leisure. Therefore, your scent remains. You are unchanged. God tells them why they're unchanged, because you do nothing. You're more concerned about your own creature comforts Anything that inconveniences you, oh, no, that can't be Jesus. That's all he does is inconvenience you. If you don't, know, if you don't think the Lord's going to inconvenience you, you don't know the Lord. Yeah? He's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. You'd be wise to remember that. That's only for those people that want change. I meet Christians all the time. They don't want change. They like to lay on their lees. And I just tell them, you can have that. Stay where you are, but expect nothing from the Lord because you're double-minded. This is James, you're double-minded. You say it works like this. The Lord says, no, it works like this. And you say, well, I think it works like this. And, the, and James goes, you're double-minded. You're in, a number, you're in a mind that's not God's mind, right? Let that person know that they will receive, or expect to receive nothing from the Lord. Zero. Doesn't say they weren't loved. Doesn't say they weren't saved. It just says they're not getting anything because they're trying to do it on their way. They're trying to do it on their terms. That's the difference. You see this, all of this stuff, these threads, they, they, they paint a picture for us. They lay a tapestry out for us, right? God puts destiny in treasure pieces. Everybody has the ekaleo of a destiny on their heart, but they don't know how to get there because you have to want destiny at your own expense. And until you want destiny at your own expense, it's never revealed to you, ever. You can see the vision, You can see where you can go. You can feel the pull, but you can't get there. Because you're not willing to sacrifice the most needed thing that's required, and it's you. Your thoughts, your concepts, your money, your time, your mentality, your attitudes, you will sacrifice nothing, and your scent remains. And that yoke remains on you. The burden of your past life remains on you. Until you get sick and tired of the burden of your past life, then and only then will you have the ability to cast it off. I'm speaking gospel. I'm speaking kingdom. I'm not speaking fairy Jesus. I'm speaking king Jesus. Right? He loves you. He's for you. He has nothing but love for you. He wants nothing but the best for you, but he can't do it. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you. I wanted to draw you to myself. But what did he say? Anybody know? You wouldn't let me. You wanted it on your terms. Therefore, I could not do for you what I truly wanted to do for you because you wouldn't let me. And oh, we say it. Look, I've been a Christian for a long time. We said, anything you want, Jesus. Anything you want, all of me. If we were in the days of Acts, you would be hearing people thumping the floor, Ananias and Sapphira style. All for you, Jesus. I surrender all. I hold nothing back. Do, Because in their heart, they know they do, right? It's religious pretense. You have to get past religious pretense. Kingdom only works when you get past religious pretense. I'm kingdom, man. I got time for this. I got time for fake. I got time for phony. I'm not interested in fake and fraud. I'm not interested in nonsense. I want kingdom. I want power. I want manifestation of everything the Lord said. And I'll give everything for it. I'll give everything for it. How bad do you want it? No, seriously, how bad do you want it? First conversations with yourself. Anyway, next story. God creates water. He creates water out of nothing. The Bible says he created the earth out of water. Is that nuts? The very first thing and the most essential thing to life is water. The Bible says the first thing he created was water. They don't know if it was a mist. They don't know what it was. But he created a water span. And out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes over the water. The Bible says this. The Holy Spirit was over the water thrusting, like that. What's he doing? He's creating a gravity field. And as he creates the gravity field, the molecules of the water begin to collect to one another through gravity. It's another thing they can't explain. They can't explain gravity. They can tell you what it does. They can't tell you where it comes from. They can't quantify it. Gravity is almost immeasurable. They don't understand it. Gravity is one of the biggest mysteries of science. Do you know why? Because it comes from the Holy Spirit. Right? Right? Yeah. He created the gravity field and as he created the gravity field, the water began to form. And as the water began to form, God takes this form of water and he separates it. His Bible says he separates the water from above from the water beneath. What's he doing? He creates a biodome. He put a biodome around the earth that was a water canopy, that was a water vapor canopy. And into the, water, into the biodome, he plants a garden. And he spends three days forming the earth. For three days he formed it and in three days, he populated it with animals and people. Well, people were last. Animals, plants, and people. And he populated it. And then man falls. And he waits 1,600 years. People think the flood happened immediately. It was 1,600 years from the fall. 1,600 years. Huh? God told him. Noah preached for, three, I think, 150 years Noah preached. Something like that. Noah preached for a long time. Right? Where's he coming? Oh, you know, been, you know, a thousand years, nothing's changed, no, everything's the same. How long have we been waiting? Two thousand. Right? He's not slow. He's patient. Slow means you don't know what you're doing. Patience means you have a plan. You understand? He wasn't slow. He's patient. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. And his plan is, is that you and I bring people to Jesus. That's plan one, right? We are the body, are we not? Are we the body of Christ, yes or no? Do we have any responsibility, right? Is this a narcissistic gospel where it's all about you? No, No. you wouldn't believe that if you listen to the American preachers, but that's not the kingdom gospel. We seek first his kingdom and what is right to him, and then all things are added unto us. What we do is we seek things that that we want added unto us, and then maybe, just maybe, we'll seek the kingdom. That's the way we operate. We seek what is, what do you seek? The king's dominion, the king's rule, the king's reign, and what is right to him. And as we seek the king's do- domain and king's dominion and what is right to him, he adds all things unto you. And his success plan is better than yours. Mm hmm. Yeah. Some of you, you're too worried about your backstory, right? I have a rule. God calls me forward a lot of times, he calls me forward into sacrifice. I'm not going to get into that, but nonetheless, because it's not—that's irrelevant. What I—but what, what I tell the Lord is, if you want me to do this, then I need you to take care of my backstory. I tell him this all the time. It's a recurring conversation. It's not just once. I tell him all the time. He'll call me forward, and I'm usually in the midst of some amount of stupidity. Anybody? Anybody know life man? Life management, right? Bills, cats, dogs, this, that, whatever. I don't even know. Something's there. And so God's calling me this way, and I'm in the middle of this. And then he tells me, I want you to do this. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll do it. But you got to take care of this. You've you got to understand that God will take care of the backstory, Huh? He'll take care of it. The, the key is, what is he saying, Christian? What is he calling you to? At Kaleo, what is he calling you forward into? Right? What is he telling you to do? Me, it's Moments. So I just this happened just this week, whole week I'm working on this stupid thing that somebody dropped the ball on personal, not church. Right? So don't be looking at Shelly because Shelly didn't drop the ball. Somebody dropped the ball, huh? Oh, yeah. no, no, I'm just kidding. But no, it's my own, it's personal life. Somebody was, you know, I committed something to to take care of something for me, and he completely screws up. Takes me a whole week, all this stuff. God's calling me forward into all these different things this week. Kevin, I need you to do this. Kevin, you need you to do this. Can you need this? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And then I'm like so stressed out because I got to handle this thing in, my back of my, in the back of my mind that I have till Tuesday to handle, right? And I spent four days back and forth and I just told the Lord, I'll do it, but you got to take care of that. And I no more and did what he told me to do. And I got home and I had three emails telling me how to reconcile that. That isn't going to cost me any money, right? <laughs> the one guy's like, it's going to cost you $1,000. The other guy, and that guy dropped the ball and he was the one that bailed on me. Then I had another guy, well, it's probably going to be about three or $4,000. We're going to handle it to you. And then I had two other guys tell me, this isn't going to cost you anything. Just do this. Right? Right? He'll take care of your backstory, Christian, if you seek first what he wants you to do. Tell him that. Don't, don't not tell him. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this, but I got issues back here. Right? You want me to go to Columbia, but I don't have the money. Right? That's why I tell people all the time. You want to go on a missions trip? Tell the Lord you'll go. But tell them to make the money and provide the money. I've seen Christians get checks in the mail. They're like, they're believing God. I'm going to go to Mexico. I need $1,200. I'm going to go to Brazil. I need whatever amount of money. And all of a sudden, a check comes in the mail, and they're like, I'm going to go buy a new flat screen. That's what they do. They get $1,200, so they get the money, and then what do they do? They put rims on their tires. <laughs> well, God didn't want me to go this year. Really? Put faith on it, man. Believe God. I will go, but I need you to provide. Sometimes he's going to give you wisdom. He's going to tell you, listen, I need you to do these things. If you do this, you'll get 30% of the money right there. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. Just listen to what I'll say, and I'll take care of the money for you. You've got to believe him, man. You've got to believe him. You've got to believe him. 1,600 years, and then he brought, he brought the cataclysmo, catacluzo. That's the Greek word. The deluge is where we get the word cataclysm from. It's the Greek word, catacluzo. Right? He brought the cataclytso. It's interesting is that what's happening in this time is the same thing that goes on around the world now. They deny that there ever was a flood. And what Peter's saying, you got evidence all around you, dude. Right? We have more evidence than ever that there was a flood. Right? We have fish fossils on the mesas on top of the, of the Grand Canyon. I'm sorry. How did fish fossils get up on the mesas of the Grand Canyon? They find whale fossils in Michigan. Hmm? They find shark fa- f- fossils in Ohio, right? The entire Texas Basin. There are places in Texas that are so saturated with fossils. Texas, desert, dry. You ever been to Texas? It's not a rainforest, right? How do subtropical, how do tropical plants and how do fish, marine life fossils get fossilized in a place like that? Man. But they willfully forget. What science has done, as we've had more and more archaeological studies, is they won't say there was a global flood. They'll say it was a localized flood. So the whole Earth is filled with, well, there was a flood here, there was a flood here, there was a flood here. They were all localized flood. Well, maybe there was a grand flood. No, no, there wasn't a grand flood. No, of course not. No, can't happen. The Bible says that he he released the water canopy. So the biodome was a water biodome suspended, right? And God released the water canopy, and so it deluged the earth. It also tells us that he opened the fountains of the deep. Look on a map sometime. You can Google it. Look up transatlantic trench. There is a split on the ocean floor of the Atlantic that's like a baseball seam. Where the fountains of the deep were opened. Right? Marianas trenches. There's trenches all over the world that are splits in the earth's crust. Where does that come from? Fountains of the deep. Right? God released it. They're not going to tell you that. Why? Because they willfully forget. They want a narrative where God doesn't exist. That's what they want. And they want to program you and to program society and to program your children that God doesn't exist. He exists. Willfully forget. Jesus isn't coming. Jesus isn't coming. Jesus isn't coming. There's a shofar. Jesus is coming. Right? You can't believe it. The earth was never the same. The second time he's coming, he's going to set things right. He's going to take his people. God will take his people before he brings this, before he throws it down. This is an absolute certainty. The timing of that, that is not in debate. What's in debate is is the timing of that. That's where the church debates. The debate of whether or not God's going to take us before judgment is not in debate. The debate is always when, right? The earth has always been a disposable item. Here's a revelation for you. Bible says, as long as the earth remains, Bible says he will fold up the heavens and the earth like a garment tells us in revelation. The earth has always been disposable because it is, it is created in time and space from eternity. So the earth is very young when it's compared to eternity, the eternal world. You understand that? God, eventually he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. But after the thousand year reign, the Bible says he folds the earth and the heavens up like a garment. What does that mean? I don't know, but we're going to be with Jesus forever. It's going to be galactic. I don't know. Maybe he's going to do some other cool things. I know, I know, it's all I know is whatever he's doing is going to be cool. That's all I know, right? I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Resources of the earth were always for human consumption. The earth, God never intended. He intended man to steward the earth, but he intended man to consume from the earth. We were supposed to steward it, but we are also supposed to use its resources. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us to preserve the natural resources. I know that flies right in the face of all of these narratives that you hear. But that is not biblical. We're to steward them. In other words, if we cut a tree, plant a tree. Does that make sense? Right? If we dig a hole, fill it back in. Does that make sense? Right? We're to steward it. We're to manage the resources. But we are given the right to consume them. The resources are not the preservation. The resources were given to man to use. That's just a thought. And again, that flies right in the face of a culture that wants to tell you that everything is inefficient and everything is not sufficient. El Shaddai made this world, Christian. He's all-sufficient. If, if you think God was short-sighted and was like, oh, man, I should have put more oil down there. What was I thinking? I believe there's resources we haven't even discovered. Just a thought. El Shaddai made this world. Where's your faith? You listen to the culture, you listen to him. I'm not telling you to go burn forests down. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to steward, right? Dress and keep the earth is what man was told to do. Take care of it. Dress and keep it. Huh, i got a lot to say on that. I'm not gonna, I'll give you this one. They talk about CO2 emissions, right? They say human beings on the earth release 250 billion micro-whatever of CO2 emissions. But they're, they're counting the air that you breathe. So humans are creating the carbon crisis, if there actually is a carbon crisis. And they're, it's not just the emissions from cars. They're saying all human consumption, including the air that we breathe, because we, we breathe out carbon dioxide, right? We breathe in, we breathe out, right? They forget there are 600 active volcanoes on the earth right now. Each one of them, there's almost a billion, whatever it is that they say, steaming out of the earth right now. A volcanic eruption. They change the data all the time. They shift the data. Why, why do they shift the data? Because they want to control the narrative. People go, why would they change the data? Why would godless people change the data? I don't know. Because they don't want there to be God. And so they willfully forget and build all the evidence that they need, right? That to support... What they're trying to say when it doesn't, when it they forget also they don't mention this that volcanoes are releasing sulfur dioxide and they're also releasing methane, which are both more toxic than carbon dioxide. And they're spewing 600 earthbound active volcanoes right now, not including the ones that are steaming under the ocean. But you are your own enemy because you breathe, right? Isn't that why God gave trees? Don't we have forests? Right? Water canopy, whole idea. What God, you think that carbon is a problem on the earth? If God, carbon was a problem on the earth, why didn't God go, we got to cap all those volcanoes down there because carbon's a problem. It, it again, but we, see, it's hard for even American Christians and modern Christians to even receive what I just said because you have been so hammered with that programming. You have been hammered. With that programming, everybody says the same thing. It's like evolution, you know? There are Christians that go, well, maybe we did evolve. You want know to go? <laughs> <laughs> Read your Bible. You're created from the earth, right? Man was created. We didn't evolve. It's hard for us to receive it because they drive that narrative at us. They drive that narrative. They drive that narrative. They don't want you to believe that you were created. They want you to believe that you came from a monkey, from a primordial soup. It's what they want. What they're doing is they're actually devaluing human life, right? God elevates human life. They devalue it. Well, you're nothing more than a, you know, a fetus. You're nothing more than a, a, a frog that crawled out of a, you know, a primordial stew. Life means nothing. We're nothing more than animals. Therefore, indulge yourself. See, there's the license to. It's the way it is, right? All right, so here we go. I'm going to auction off Matthew 24. Ready? (laughs) The Lord is not slow. He's patient. He's patient. He's coming. You can rest assured he's coming. People say, when's he coming? When's he coming? People say, buckle up. Say, come on, buckle up. Oh, you guys are not, come back next week. I'll tell you next week. Then You don't want to even tell you. The Bible is very clear and very distinct as to the sequence of events. There's a specific sequence that must be met. There's a scroll with how many seals? Anybody know? Seven seals, right? Jesus is the possessor of the earth, and in his hand is the scroll. The scroll is not only the deed to the earth. The scroll is the scroll of woe, the prophet says. It is the scroll that God will speak forth, the judgments that God will bring forth, right? Not upon you, but upon the earth. But there are seven conditions that must be met before the seal is opened. And he's very clear. Matthew 24, Revelation 6, those are the most 4K chapters in the Bible when it comes to his returning. Matthew 24 says, listen, they said, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The end sign. What will be the signal of your coming? He says, you're going to hear all these different things. He basically runs it down like this. Revelation, say this with me. I'm going to help some of you today. Revelation 6 and Matthew 24 are parallels first seal is the antichrist the wider on the right horse right i want you to say this this is going to help i'm, I'm going to hurt some of you everybody, say, everybody do, i'm going to i'm about to push on a spiritual cow so i just want you to say go move right because i'm gonna push on some stuff that some ground where you've been standing for a long time right they believe that jesus can come at any mount, any hour of any, of any minute of any day that's not true that is, not, that is not distinct, and I don't even have time, I don't even know why I said that, because now I'm like, i got 15 minutes, and I'm supposed to explain that. He can't. The Bible's very clear. It's extremely clear, all the way through. Say it with me. There has to be an antichrist, and there has to be a temple. So what I tell my daughter every time she's freaking out. She's like, does that freak you out, Dad? I'm like, nope, there's no temple. Like, if there was a temple, you might have my attention, but if there's no temple, they don't have my temple. Jesus said, when you see the abomination that makes desolation. He's speaking to believers. And the certain sects within Christianity will say, well, Matthew 24 was written to the Jews. You can't do that in biblical exegesis. If you take a chapter and say, well, this chapter was written to someone, that means the whole book is now parsed. It's not congruent. So I always tell them, well, if Matthew 24 is written to the Jews, then who's Matthew 28 written to? Go into all the world. Oh, Matthew 28 is written to the church. Well, how do you know? You just told me Matthew 24 is written to the, church, to the, to the Jews. And so they get rid of this by saying that when Jesus is talking about his return, which is absolutely systematic, he lays it out for us. They say, well, that chapter is written exclusively to the Jews. That is the complete violation of biblical exegesis and a complete violation of what's called hermeneutical laws. Hermeneutical laws say what you begin with is what you end with right? So if the whole book of Matthew is written to all of us, then all of the whole book of Matthew is written to all of us. If Matthew chapter 4 is written to the Jews, okay, well then who's, then we got to go through the whole book and figure out who's, what are these other chapters? It's, it, you can't do it that way. That's not how you build sound doctrine. And the reason that they, add all, and the reason that they do that is they don't like the inconvenient truth that Jesus says, you're going to see the Antichrist, right? Thessalonians says, I told you before, so I always point this one out too. So here you have Matthew 24 written to Jews. Thessalonians is an entirely Gentile church. They're all Gentiles. They're not Jews. And he tells the Gentile church, I told you before that the end will not come until the man of sin is revealed, Antichrist, and there's a falling away. Because they were all freaking out. Did we miss the rapture? Did we miss the rapture? That was, that was the book of 2 Thessalonians. They're tripping. Did Jesus come and we got left behind? And Peter's like, or Paul's like, No. You will know the world leader, right? And there will be a falling away. Where are the falling away? Good God. I tell people all the the time, American Christians are as shallow as summer snow. You don't think it's going to be a falling away? We freak out at COVID and everybody runs to the hills. What do you think you're going to do when there's a world leader, right? At the threat of something that scares you. What are you going to do when it gets real? Right, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats is what he's going to do. He's going to shake his house. Who's for me? Who's against me? Who's my disciple? Who's my fan? Right? He's going to separate that. It's an inconvenient truth. He tells them in Matthew, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be an antichrist that comes on the scene. So here you go. Say this with me. The seals, seals. this is the key to the whole thing, are not God's judgment. They're not. The seals are precursors to the opening of the scroll. The judgments are the trumpets and the bulls. That's when the judgment. The judgment happens when the angel throws the torch. I'd love to see that. It takes a fire from the altar after the silence, and the angel takes a torch and hurls it to the earth. And be, that unleashes, how freaking cool is that, man? Freaking cool. I'd be like, what? Do that again. Hit that on rewind. I'd have that on play on my phone all the time. I'd be like, that is so cool. Chucking a torch through time and space, man. How awesome is that? So you have, a, you have an antichrist. You have a world leader who creates wars. Seal 1 is the antichrist. Seal 2 is wars. Seals 3 and 4 are famine and pestilence. What comes out of war? Famine and pestilence. You have refugees in mass. You have lack of resources. You have disease because people are forced into camps. So 1 is the antichrist. 2 is um, the wars. They're going to be global wars. I don't have time to get into all this. 3 is... Um, Three is the famine and the pestilence. Three and four. Five is the martyrs. Antichrist, there's going to be a world leader who comes on the scene. He's going to unify. It's going to be focused on the Europe. From the world's eyes, it's going to be focused on the European theater. Europe and going east, Greece, Turkey, that region. He's going to unify. He's going to unify all religions. going to unify all faiths. What's happening here is the precondition that God is giving before he returns. He said, I'm going to give man what they want. Man wanted to worship himself in the garden, and he said, let's give him what he wants. And the Antichrist will come, and people will worship him. He will be the great unifier of all faiths. He'll unify Hindus, Muslims, atheists, New Agers. There'll be no one like this guy ever before. He's going to be a unifier. He'll have some people that are against him, but he's going to unify religions. He's going to be the greatest ecumenical leader the world's ever known. The Bible says strong delusion will be given to believe his lies. Strong delusion. Strong delusion. Huh? And if it were possible, the elect would be, be deceived. But the, the narrative is, is, it's not possible. The only people are going to see through this nonsense are born again believers. They're going to be going, I, I think that's the dude. No, seriously, I think that's the dude. And then you're going to have other Christians going, Oh, shut up. He's a good man, he's a world leader. He's bringing a righteous wind and hope to the dying world. Why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? I'm telling you, that looks like the dude to me, right? And then the Antichrist will consolidate power. Once he consolidates power, fifth seal, he murders all of those that are in opposition. He basically says, Bow or die. That's the fifth seal, right? And it's going to, again, it's going to be focused from the world's view, it's going to be the European theater, Greece, and Turkey. Turkey's going to be involved here. It's going to be that theater there where his power is going to come from. But to God's eyes, it's going to be focused on Israel. The world will see it as a European you know, unification plan of all of the tribes and the tongues of all of these things. But in God's eyes, it's about Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with him. He makes a covenant with Jerusalem. He builds the temple. You'll know who the Antichrist is because he's the guy that signs the, the paper that builds the temple. That's how we know who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist will broker a deal that will enable the Jews to build the temple. When you got... I don't care who it is, you know, howdy duty coming up there, and he signs, you know, howdy duty, what an antichrist, right? And he signs the agreement that brokers the deal between the Arabs and the Jews that enables the Jews to build a temple, that's the guy. The one who signs the covenant of death, the Bible says. He, he says, Israel, Jesus said, I come in my father's name, and you do not receive me. One will come in his own name, he's speaking of the antichrist, him you will receive. Isaiah mirrors that, and Isaiah says, you will sign a covenant of death. They sign a covenant of death with this leader. They think they're getting what they want. It's a long story. I got a lot to say on this, but I'm just giving you the highlights. That leader is the guy you're looking for. He's the Antichrist. The clock starts with that dude. They have the fifth seal, right? So the fifth seal is the martyr. He's now consolidated power. He's like, y'all go with the program, or I'm going to kill you. So if he has influence, wherever he has influence... He's gonna exert that type of power. He won't have influence all over the world. Bible says the whole world will be under his sway, but the Bible's language is the known world. In scriptural language, the known world is the Mediterranean basin, right? You understand that? So when the Bible's using that reference, it's saying this entire region of the Mediterranean, that's what it's speaking of. The old Roman empire, if you will, will will be under his sway. And so this guy's gonna kill everybody that opposes him. Then the sixth seal is a cosmic disturbance, right? Cosmic disturbance. The Bible says the sun turns to darkness, the moon turns to blood, and stars fall from heaven. There's going to be a cosmic disturbance, right? Watch this. This is how this works. This is how Jesus is going to come back, right? He's going to come back. There'll be a cosmic disturbance. So all this stuff's going on, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the moon is blood. Oh my gosh, the, the sun is dark. It's raining fireballs. Cosmic disturbance, right? And then, after the cosmic disturbance, after everybody's freaking out, oh! the seventh seal in its silence the seventh seal is a hush right the scroll is now open so now it's a hush so imagine everybody freaking out and saying, ah, 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 ah. and the Bible says the lightning will flash from the east to the west he will rend the veil of time and space and what will happen is light will go and the Bible says through the lightning he'll come right throw his leg aside king of kings the Bible says he's going to do two things Say with me. There's going to be a shout? Right. It's not no holy thing. Jesus is going to shout. Thessalonians tells us the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the blast of the shofar. So Jesus is going to be like, ah, with a war cry. And then there's going to be a, and all the earth will hear the shout. In all the earth, because there will be silence. So where is the drawing the attention to? Everybody will be panicking and freaking out. And they look up, light flashes, like what's that? Right? Somebody's shouting. Where's that shout coming from? And then they'll hear the blast. And the Bible says that he will send his angels to the four corners of the earth and he will gather his saints. People ask, How are we going to rapture? Read Matthew 24. The angels are coming for you. Hmm? If you're alive, the angels are coming for you. And the angels will come down as the Lord is coming, and the angels will come down and he will take his saints. He will take his people. And the people will be delivered and God will come and he will execute the judgment he executes the 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 judgment of the trumpets which are direct judgments upon Israel for the rejection of the Messiah and then he executes the bowl judgments which are the judgments upon all of the nations yeah and that's what he does but you know when he's coming Christian like I've about had it with Christians freaking out right any decision made in fear is the wrong one why are you afraid it's exactly what Peter is telling this group. Why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Why do you keep reacting to all of these things out there? You know the end from the beginning, right? You know the end. It's because we're woefully ignorant. That's the problem. But no, you can't be ignorant anymore because I just told you, right? I'm telling you. My daughter calls me. She'll be like, Dad, aren't you freaked out? are you freaked out? I'm like, I'm not freaked out at all. Eating an apple. Aren't you afraid? no, no. Not afraid at all. COVID, dad, COVID. Mariah's not like that, but she asks me questions. She doesn't freak out. She just asks me things. And so I tell her, it's like, that's not the way it's going down, Mariah. It's like, doesn't the Bible speak of famine and pestilence? It said it speaks of pestilence, but there's got to be an antichrist first. It's a sequence. There'll be a sequential order. You can see it all through time. You can see a world leader. Just look at World War II. You have a world leader who dominates a complete tired region of the country. What does he do? He brings war. What does he do? He brings famine, pestilence, and genocide on an epic scale. You don't even have to look back 70 years and you can find that happening, right? Was Hitler the Antichrist? No. How do we know Hitler wasn't the Antichrist? Because he didn't stand in the temple. You know, it's interesting, he was trying to capture Israel. He was driving through North Africa towards Palestine. He was trying to capture the oil fields, but he never, he never got there. He got, his army got defeated in North Africa. So you can never say Hitler was Hitler's a type of the Antichrist. He's showing you, right? Like, this can happen, people. You can have a world leader that brings genocide on an entire world. And the Bible says that this guy, when he comes, it will not be like anything that's ever happened. So whatever this dude's going to do, it's going to be off the chain. It's going to be on an even more epic scale. But we don't fear. right? We're not to be afraid. We're not to be moved. We know this stuff. And this is the message that Peter's trying to communicate to this church. He's trying to get them to understand the same thing. Stop freaking out. Know who you are. Know what you are. Put faith in God, not in circumstances. Put faith in God, not in your jobs or your. Re- Put it in His reality, not yours. Jesus can't give you a job. Jesus can't give you a promotion. Come on, really, really? <laughs> it's for another day. Amen. All right. <laughs> my question is: Is are you ready? That's my question. Are you ready? Yes. How do you know if I'm ready, man? I don't know if I'm ready. The Bible says you have Christ in your heart. Jesus comes for those who are sealed. The Holy Spirit is the seal. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to claim the packages. When you die, your package is claimed. When he returns, your package is claimed. The ultimate barcode. Bar he's going to throw a light over the whole earth, and so he's going to barcode everybody. Okay, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. You know? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you given your life to Christ? If you haven't, we're going to say a prayer. Amount of time. The Bible says that we all have a sin problem. We're all born separated from the Lord. The one who created us, the one who knows us, the one who has everything for us. We're born separated from him. Sin has separated us. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, eternal separation, lost forever. But the gift of God is life eternal in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came to die for you, to give his life for you, to rise again, to give you life eternal. The gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus. He says, if you believe in your heart, not your mind, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, you'll be saved. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no way cast out. Say, you don't know what I've done. I always tell people, you don't know what he's done. It has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what he's done. He'll take whoever will come to him. It doesn't matter. Jesus wants you. You may not want you, but Jesus wants you. So we're going to say a prayer. We're going to close the service with a prayer. There'll be a prayer team available for people that need prayer. Say it with two prayers. I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to pray one over you. But this is the most important one. This is a 40-second life changer right here. This changes everything. This changes your eternity. Just open your heart and pray with us. Everybody here, I want you to all to pray together. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. We got a prayer team. Anybody here need prayer? Go take advantage of that. Come on, yeah. And let me just speak a blessing and we'll close it out. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.